Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. I'm going to continue my series, little mini-series, that I've been talking about the last several Sundays on living water and clean vessels. And living water was our D6 theme several or a few weeks back. And as I started thinking about the living water of the Lord Jesus Christ and how He lives within us through the person of the Holy Spirit, then I started thinking about the vessels, how our vessels need to be clean if we're going to be able to distribute this living water and distribute it in a way where a world that's out and about will be able to see our lives and want to partake of that living water that's coming out of these clean vessels. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 13. The scripture says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And I love verse number 18. None of that should have scared us whatsoever because verse 18 says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let us pray. Father, once again, we stand in need of you. No man can stand and proclaim your word without the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God resting upon him. If he does, he's just sounding brass and tinkling cymbal, no power whatsoever. God, I don't want to stand here in my own strength, in my own abilities, or in my own talents. I pray that you would empower me. I ask you to hide me behind the shadow of the cross, and may this congregation not see or hear John, but may they see and hear what thus saith the Lord. Because it's only the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit illuminating the verses of the Scripture and convicting our hearts that can transform and change a life. It's only God. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would do just that. Encourage our hearts today. I pray you'd speak to those that may not be ready to meet you. May today be the day of, of, of reckoning for them where they come into a relationship with you. I pray for that one believer that may be walking a distant way from you. I pray, God, you'd bring that individual back into a right fellowship with you. Father, I just pray you'd encourage our hearts today as we look at the fourth area of this walk the Apostle Paul is sharing with us. I ask you to bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over the last several weeks, I've been talking with you about this walk that the Apostle Paul is encouraging us as believers, as Christians, that we are to be walking in. And we're pulling all of this out of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you verses 1 through 8 of chapter 4 that we as believers are to walk in holiness. And that's a doctrine you don't hear preached a whole lot in our day today. Uh, it's not real popular uh, when, uh, when preachers stand up and preach about how we are to live holy. Uh, 
And boy, it's, it certainly st- doesn't make the, the Scripture any less truth than what it is simply because it's not being preached a whole lot today. Uh, but we need to walk in holiness. We as believers need to be careful how we live our daily Christian life Monday through Saturday outside of church on Sunday morning, right? So we are to walk in holiness, and I won't go back and unpack all of that. In verses 9 through 10, we saw that we are to walk in love. Not only are we to walk in holiness, we're also to walk in love. I shared with you several weeks back how that's one of the marks of a true disciple of Christ. And matter of fact, Jesus gave the outside world, those that do not know Him as their Lord and Savior, those out in the community that are unbelievers and unchurched, He gave them the privilege and the right to judge us, to say, look in on that church, look in on that body of believers, look in on that group that calls themselves a Christian, and you'll be able to know if they are Christians by the way they treat one another, by the way they love one another. That's one of the marks of a disciple of Christ is that we love one another. Jesus said, by this all men shall know that you're my disciples because of your love one for another. So we're not only to walk in holiness, we're also to walk in love. Last week I also shared with you verses 11 and 12 of chapter 4 how we are to walk in honesty. We're to walk in honesty. We're to seek to live a quiet life. We're to mind our own business and, and we're to work hard and work diligently. And matter of fact, I think the Christian ought to be the best worker at any job, in any place of employment. A believer should be the very best worker. Why? Because we're not working for some boss man or boss lady. We're working for the Lord. And whatever we do, we should do it for our whole, with our whole heart to bring honor and glory to God. Amen? Today I want to share with you the fourth walk that the Apostle Paul is sharing with us in this chapter. And the fourth walk, I want you to jot this down in your notes. You can take your notes on the back of your, your uh, bulletin, your worship folder there. We are to walk in hope. We are to walk in hope. I want you to look in verse number 13. Paul writes, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed. The authorized version says, we do not want you, brethren, to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant, and I don't want you to be uninformed. And Paul said, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning them, those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Guys, you realize there's a lot of people in this world that have no hope whatsoever. I mean, apart from this life, there's really no hope for them whatsoever. But we as believers and we as Christians, we are to walk in hope. Not a, boy, I hope this comes to pass, but in a steadfast, confident knowledge of what the Word of God says, that our hope rests in Jesus Christ, and we know that this life, when we come to the end of this life, is not the end. Hello? I want to talk to you a little bit about the hope that we have in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here in this passage of Scripture, in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, Paul shares with us some comfort. You've got to remember, this passage of Scripture is the, is the classic passage of Scripture dealing with the rapture of the church. Okay? I mean, if you ever want to start studying the doctrine of the rapture of the church... Right here is where every commentary, every theologian will take you. Here's the classic scripture dealing with the rapture of the church. Now, there's other places we can run references, but it's going to really start from right here. And the Apostle Paul, if you remember, I shared with you a couple weeks ago, the church at Thessalonica was going through tremendous persecution. 
Matter of fact, many of them had died a martyr's death for their faith. And because of this death, the believers at the church at Thessalonica, they were worried and they were concerned about their loved ones that they had buried and put in the grave. And they were concerned about that. And Paul knew that they were concerned about that. So therefore he writes to them in this particular passage of Scripture about the hope that they can have with the believers that have already died and the life that they're living even now. You know, today, this past week, we have seen um, devastation through Japan, parts of Hawaii, not so much in, in, in uh, the United States with California, but part of it did come there. The earthquake and the tsunami effect and all that took place. And I don't even know what the death toll is in Japan. The last I saw was about 9,500. That was yesterday morning at the men's breakfast. They had it up on the screen. It, it may be more than that now. What devastation takes place? But here's something that, as I was watching on the news, the commentators kept, kept making reference to. They kept making reference to the power of Mother Nature. You see, you guys, you got to understand, that's a secular world view when you hear that type of phraseology. Amen? There's no such thing as Mother Nature. There is one sovereign God that's ruling everything. Hello? And a lot of talk is being made about this being the year 2011 and the year 2012 may be the year that everything comes to an end. You guys have heard that. I know you have. If you look anywhere on the Internet, if you see any newspapers, if you see any movies that are coming out, there's all this speculation about the calendar running out and 2012 may be the, the year that may be the end of the earth. You know what? I, I, just, I just say this. I, I don't know when the time is going to end. Matter of fact, the scripture says that no man knows the day or the hour. Even Jesus himself said, I don't even know. I just wait for the Father to tell me. Hello? So don't get too hung up whenever you see earthquakes and disasters and wars and rumors of wars. And I know all this is mentioned in Matthew 24. And sometimes as we start looking at all of that, it can bring a little bit of um, fear in our hearts and our lives. Listen, we don't have to walk in fear. Matter of fact, dealing with the doctrine of eschatology... And the doctrine of eschatology is the doctrine of last things. There are those that take the premillennial view and those that take the amillennial view and those that take the postmillennial view. And, and I'm not going to unpack all of that today. And I'm not going to get real deep into eschatology. But here, here's something that I like to study, I like to live by. It's called panology. What is panology? Well, panology is this. You get your heart and your life right with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it will all pan out in the end. Hello? Amen? That's all you got to worry about. Just get your heart and your life right with Jesus, and everything else will pan out. It will take care of itself. But there are those people that are so hung up on the last days and, and, and the return of the Lord and the rapture of the church and, and all these other things. Well, I want to I bring some of that to you today because that's the hope that the Apostle Paul is saying that we are to be walking in as believers. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't have any fear whatsoever about the coming of the Lord. I don't have any fear whatsoever about the rapture of the church. I really don't have any fear whatsoever about death in and of itself. You see, I, I've come to a realization a long time ago that I'm just a pilgrim here passing through. Th this is not my home. Hello? Right? 
A lot of times we get so earthly minded, we're of no heavenly good whatsoever. I mean, we, we, we drive, I, I think we as believers, we drive our stakes way too deep in this land we live in today, in this body we live. It's so temporal. It, it, it's so small. Matter of fact, the life that you live is, is like one grain of sand on the seashore compared, compared to all eternity. I mean, it's so small. But yet, this one life that we live will determine where we're going to spend all eternity. So I want to try to share with you, I think, four or five fundamental facts that we draw out of this particular passage of Scripture that deals with the hope that we are to be walking in, as Paul is unpacking some of this. matter of fact, uh, in, in the pagan world that Paul lived in, you got to understand there was no hope whatsoever of life after death in the world that he lived in. They had no hope whatsoever. As a matter of fact, it was very common in Paul's day to find on the grave something like this. I was not. I became. I am not. I care not. You see, that's the symbol of a life without hope. Well, we don't have to live like that, church. Amen? So let me share with you. Jot these down, if you will, please. I want to share with you, and you'll have to just write them in the margin in your notes and in there. I want, you to, I want to share with you these five facts, fundamental facts, that we are to be walking in this hope in. Number one, I want you to write down the word revelation. Write down the word revelation. Out beside that, I want you to write, we have God's truth. How can we as believers and we as Christians walk in hope? I mean, we look around in our world today, devastation is everywhere. Murder's taking place, crime is everywhere, nobody's safe, the elderly aren't safe, the young aren't safe, and I'm always concerned where my wife or my daughter are, especially as being, being women, I'm concerned about their safety. I mean, we live in a world today, if you really start paying attention to our world, and it can absolutely scare us to death. And it can almost drive us back into a hole or a cavern, and we almost want to just hide away there as people with no hope. Let me tell you, we as believers don't have to live like that. Hello? We do not have to live like that. We do have hope. And the hope that we find, first of all, is going to rest in the revelation of our God. What am I talking about there? Look what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 13. He said, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest. Don't grieve like the rest of those that have died, who have no hope. And then he says in verse number 15, For we say, for we say this to you, get this, by a revelation from the Lord. Paul is speaking with and by the authority of the Word of God. And he's saying that we do not have to live our life like those who grieve and have no hope. Why? Because of the revelation. Because of God's truth. We have the truth of God's Word. Therefore, we don't have to worry and fret. You see, I don't know about you. I don't know why in the world we would want to substitute human speculation for divine revelation. Why would we ever want to replace that? We have the revelation of God. You see, philosophers have all struggled with life after death. Scientists have all struggled with life after death. People in this age and in ages past have all had difficulty understanding and comprehending and trying to figure out what's going to happen once we take our last breath. 
Once our heart quits beating the very last time, people, a lot of people are troubled and they're trying to discover what life after death is all about. There's occults that have been started all about, around, centered around what's going to take place on life after death. But let me just tell you something, guys. All you need is the revelation of God. All you need is the truth of God's Word. Now, everything I'm going to share with you today is not what I believe the Bible says. I'm going to bring you chapter and verse. I'm going to unpack with you and I'm going to share with you what thus saith the Word of God. I'm not going to stand up here and give you what my opinions are. You know why? They don't matter. They carry no weight whatsoever. Hello? You know, opinions are like belly buttons. They all have one except Adam and Eve, of course, but everybody else got a belly button. Hello? We all got opinions and they all differ. What we need is the truth of the Word of God. What does God's Word say? And I just want to hit point number one. It's kind of quick, kind of to the point there. But I want you to understand that we do not have to walk around, as Paul said, as those that are grieving who have no hope. Why? Because we have the revelation of God. We know what takes place after death according to the Word of God. Hello? So we do not have to substitute human speculation for divine revelation. He says in verse 15, For this we say unto you by a revelation from the Lord. We've got God's word on what's going to take place in life after death. So that's number one, revelation. We've got his word. We're going to bank on the truth of God's word. That's where we're going to drop anchor. That's where we're going to find our hope. That's where we find our rest. That's where fear is removed. We're just going to trust God. Amen? I like the verse in the Bible where it says, Let God be true and every man a liar. Hello? Just trust in God's Word. Number two, write this word down. There's five of them I'm going to share with you. The fundamental fact, number two, is this. Write down the word return. And out beside of that, I want you to write down the words, Christ is coming again. Return. Christ is coming again. I want you to look in verses 14 and 15. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. The Bible says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, God will bring with him. You need to underline that, with, with him. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. Now, here's what they're saying. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. Now, let me just put one false doctrine to rest right now. Nowhere in the Word of God does it teach that the soul of man sleeps. Okay? I want you to nail that down. That's a doctrine that's misunderstood. It's it's a false doctrine. I've heard it preached in churches. I've heard teachers teach about it. Nowhere in Scripture will you find that your soul is going to sleep. Now, when it talks about falling asleep, it talks about the body dying. That's what that's in reference to. Okay? Nowhere in the Word of God do you find where the soul of man sleeps. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 It says, Them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. God made it clear 
The Lord made it clear that when man dies, the soul of that man or woman, boy or girl, that soul immediately goes to be with the Lord. Because who is God bringing with him? He's bringing that soul back with him, right? I mean, he's bringing somebody back with him. Who's he bringing back with him? He's bringing those that died and the soul leaves, soul and spirit leaves their body and goes to be the Lord, with the Lord. The body is laid at rest. From dust we came, from dust we'll return, right? The body is like a seed that's going to be planted back into the earth. Waiting for that resurrection morning when it will be reunited with the soul and the spirit that's going on to be with the Lord. And then that body which has been planted will be raised as a glorified body, reunited with that soul and spirit. And the Bible says forever will be with the Lord. Hello? Now there's a lot of teaching that goes into all of this. I'm not going to have time to unpack all of it. But if you would like to have my detailed notes, I will get them to you. Okay? Send me an email and I'll send all this study out to you and you can have it. But here's what I want you to understand. Nowhere, I want you to get this, nowhere in Scripture does it teach... By the way, our hope is based on what? The revelation of the Word of God. And nowhere in Scripture does it teach that when you die, your soul is going to rest. Your soul is going to be put to sleep. Your soul now will just wait. No, 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 no. Paul, you remember what Paul said? Paul said, oh, I have a desire. Oh, I'm, I'm caught between two desires. He said, I have a desire to stay here and preach the gospel so that many can be saved. But he said, I also have a desire to go to be with the Lord. I mean, if Paul believed in soul sleeping, why would he have a desire to die and, 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 and just go to the grave? He knew that the moment that he would die, he would go to be with the Lord. And so that's what the point I want you to see here is that the return that Christ is coming. Now, now let, me, let me move a little bit further into this passage of Scripture. I just want to nail that thing about soul sleeping. I mean, I have seen... A lot of Christians struggle with that, and I have heard, I've sat in classes, and I've heard, not necessarily here at our church, in, in my past, I've sat in classes and heard this doctrine taught, boy, it's wrong. It's wrong. But let me go a little bit further and talk a little bit. I want you to understand something. I do not want you to confuse the rapture of the church with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Do not confuse the rapture of the church with another term is used, the revelation of the Lord when the Lord returns. Now, the next prophetic event to take place on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. When the church is going to be called out. Now, I want you to look. Here it is again. Look in this verse. Verse number 14. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way. needs to hear this stuff. You got me? You got me right here? Hello, I'm on? All right, I'm going to take this off, okay? All right, are we okay right there? I'm just concerned. Are you getting a recording? That's all I care about. All right, jack it up. Crank the volume up, whatever you got to do to get it, okay? All right, I want you to look in verse number 14. Look what the Scripture teaches. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way God will bring with him 
Now, God's bringing somebody with him. He's bringing those souls, those individuals that had already died, those believers that died in Christ Jesus, that soul has gone on to be with the Lord. At the rapture of the church, when he comes, he's bringing those souls with him, those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. Verse 15, For we say this to you by revelation from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming, that's it, that's the Lord, this is the rapture taking place, We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over them. No advantage over who? Who's he talking about? We'll have no advantage over who? He's talking about those believers that died, that are buried in the grave. He said they are going to come out first. And their soul and spirit is going to be reunited to be with the Lord. And we, the scripture teaches, are going to be changed according to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 52. The Bible says that we, as believers that are alive when the day of the Lord comes, whenever he comes for the rapture of his church, I should say, we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of, a, of the eye, and we will go and forever be with the Lord. Hello? So I don't want you to misunderstand the rapture. The rapture, listen, at the rapture of the church, Jesus is not coming to this earth. The Bible teaches at the rapture of the church, Jesus is coming in the air. Okay? And we will meet him in the air. Okay? That's the rapture. The revelation or the second coming of Jesus, Jesus will actually come and stand and put his foot on the mount and stand literally on this earth, that's the second coming. All right? But I want you to understand the rapture. The next thing to take place on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when will this event take place? When will the rapture of the church take place? Once again, nobody knows. I don't know. Matter of fact, Paul's writings, whenever Paul wrote his epistles, he wrote in the present tense thinking that he would see the day when the Lord would come. I mean, he thought it was near in his day. That's 2,000 years ago. I mean, if he thought it was close in his day, how much closer are we in our day? Hello? I know some may be thinking, well, preacher, I've heard, I heard Grandma and Grandpa talk about this thing called the rapture. Preacher, I've heard people talk about the the second coming of Christ all these years. I'm just not so sure he's coming. Let me tell you something. Remember point number one is what? Revelation. The truth of God's word. You see, the fact that he has not come does not change the fact of the word of God when it says that he will come. Hello? He is coming. Knowing that he is coming, should that cause us to live in fear? No. We live in hope. Paul's saying don't live, don't be grievous and don't live in fear like those that have no hope. We've got hope. Our hope is resting in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the salvation that we've experienced in and through him. There's where our hope rests. So I want you to see the rapture of the church is going to be taking place. Jesus Christ will return in the air. That's where we will meet him, according to verse number 17. Now, I want you to think about that. Suddenly, when the rapture takes place, suddenly, millions of believers all around the world will be instantly gone. Can you imagine? You've seen, you've witnessed some devastation 
in Japan. And by the way, we need to be praying for Japan. We need to be praying for them. You know, and I'm thankful that America stepped up and said, hey, we're here to help. I know there's divided opinions on that, but hey, that's what made us great and that's what we do. Hello? Why? Because that's what Christians do. You do unto others as you'd have them do unto yourself, right? That's what we do. So let's be praying. But as we've seen the devastation in Japan, let me tell you guys, that's not going to hold a candle to the devastation that's going to take place when the rapture of the church takes place. Let me tell you why. Because at the helm of some of those airplanes that are flying at 30,000 feet, there's a Christian pilot. He's going to be gone. That plane's going to be unmanned. In the air traffic control tower, I know there's a Christian at the one at Mid-America. Thank God we don't get much traffic there. (laughs) He'll be gone. Hello? In Chicago, air traffic control center there, there's believers there. They'll be gone. Chaos is going to take place. On the ships, on the trains, the automobiles, the trucks running up and down the interstate, in the hospitals, everything. Believers are going to be gone. Now, guys, this thing called the rapture of the church is real. I want you to understand. It's not some little fairy tale we read in the world. It is real. And it is going to take place. And devastation is going to wipe out. I mean, just really devastate this entire world whenever that takes place. Think about the effects of that. Number three, jot this one down. Fundamental fact number three, not only revelation, we have God's truth. I'm talking about how we can walk in hope. Not only revelation, we have God's truth. Not only the return, Christ is coming again. Just be ready. That's my whole panology theory. Get your heart and your life right with Christ. All this other stuff will take care of itself. Just get ready, right? Number three, jot this one down. This is resurrection. Resurrection. The Christian dead will rise. Look, if you will, in verse 15 and 16 of our text. For we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who have died. We have no advantage over those who have died or fallen asleep. Verse 16. I love this part. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now at the the rapture of the church, who's coming up first? The dead in Christ. Those believers that have died in Christ, that's the first resurrection. That's going to take place. And then the Bible teaches that we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. I want you to understand that when the Lord comes in the clouds, in the air, He's going to shout. Matter of fact, boy, I like that. You understand there's three unique events to what's taking place here when the rapture takes place. First of all, we see in verse number 16, we see the Lord's shout. Do you realize our Lord is going to come? He's just going to shout. What's he going to shout? I don't know what he's going to shout. He may say something. Come up hither. I don't know. That's Revelation 4 language. Come up hither. I don't know what he's going to say. But I do know this. That whenever Jesus went to Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus had died. Do you remember the story? 
And they said, Jesus, what kept you so long? <laughs> they forgot that he's God. Hello? And Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they took him to a tomb. And, and they said, Lord, he, he's been buried for three days, but now he stinks. What are you going to do? The Bible says that while Jesus was standing there, what did what he do? Tears were coming down his cheek. He wept. His heart was broken over the death of a loved one. And guys, listen, I know our hearts many times are broken over the death of a loved one. But I want to encourage you, as the Apostle Paul said to these believers, we should not grieve as those who have no hope. Yes, we do grieve. Yes, we are sorry. Yes, our hearts are broken. But at some point in that grief, we've got to rise up and we've got to proclaim to a world, listen, that our loved one, just is the body's at rest, the soul is with the Lord. And Jesus got to Lazarus' grave. And what did he say? Lazarus is dead, been buried three days. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Why did he say Lazarus? Because most likely, if he did not designate exactly who he wanted to come forth, whenever Jesus, the Son of God, stands and says to all of those that are dead, Come forth, honey. The graves are bursting open and they are coming forth. Hello? I mean, there came Lazarus. He came out and you you see all the linen wrapped around him. And and somebody loosed this man. Hello? Lazarus, come forth, Jesus said. In that same fashion, in that same form, whenever Jesus comes in the air, the Bible says in verse number 16 that he's coming with a shout. He may say, church, come on home. I don't know what he's going to say. But he's going to call out the believers, those that have died in Christ Jesus and those that are still remain. He is going to call us with a shout. The second unique part is that there's going to be a trumpet that's going to sound. The trump of God is going to be proclaimed. And then the third unique part is the voice of the archangel. And there's been much speculation over who the archangel is going to be. And I'll leave it at just that, speculation, because I'm going to depend and trust on the revelation of the Word of God, and nowhere in the Word of God does it tell us exactly who this angel is going to be. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's going to be Gabriel like many speculate it may be. I don't know who it's going to be. But I do know this. I do know that there will be an archangel that's there. I do know the trump will sound. I do know that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself will come and shout, And call his church home. Boy, I love the passage in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11. Turn there in your Bibles, if you will, please, quickly. Man, this is good stuff right here. Acts chapter 1, verse number 11. This this is right uh, right before Jesus was taken up from them. Right before he went up to be with, with God. After his death, after after his burial, after his resurrection. And it says in verse number 9, this is after his ascension. And he had said this, he was taken up, he being Jesus, was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. Now I want you to think about that. Think about yourself being these disciples, and you're sitting there, and you've seen your Lord crucified. You've watched them bury him. You've now seen him in his resurrected body. Many hundreds have seen him in his resurrected body. 
And now the ascension is taking place. He's sitting there telling you that you are to wait until you're endued with power from on high. Go back in Jerusalem and tarry there. And as soon as he gets done speaking, he starts ascending up into heaven. I don't know about you, but I would be standing there gazing as well. Jesus is being taken up from you. But then I want you to look what it says. While, they, while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly in white clothes... Two men stood by them, and they said in verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? Get this. This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come again in the same way that you've seen him going into heaven. You know what he said? He said, I like the authorized version. It says, this same Jesus. This Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, will come again. Guys, let me tell you something. Jesus is not sending the angels in heaven after his church. Hello? He's not sending any man after his church. He's not sending Peter or the Apostle Paul after his church. He himself is coming. Paul said that in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. The Lord himself will descend with a shout. And the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God will sound. And then the resurrection will take place. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of this, but let me give it to you real quickly. I want you to understand that there are two resurrections that are going to be taking place in the future. Two resurrections. The first resurrection will take place at the rapture of the church. Okay? That's what we're studying. That's what we're talking about here in 1 Thessalonians. This is the first resurrection in which Jesus Christ returns in the air. He will call out to those that have died in Christ Jesus in that first resurrection are those believers that have died in Christ Jesus. They will come out of the grave. Their soul and their spirit, which Jesus is bringing with them, will be reunited with the Lord, and forever they'll go and be with the Lord. That is the first resurrection. Now, there's another resurrection taking place. It's called the second resurrection. The second resurrection is at the end time. Now, there's two things that are taking place between the two resurrections. You have the first resurrection at the rapture of the church. After the rapture of the church, when all the saints are called out, we've gone on to the marriage feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And boy, there's some good teaching right there. We're going to be with the Lord for those seven years of tribulation period. But down here on earth, all hell is literally breaking loose. During the tribulation period. We're going to be with the Lord. Then there's going to be seven years of tribulation period. We're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Seven years of tribulation period. At the end of that tribulation period, the Bible talks about a little battle that you probably heard called the Battle of Armageddon. You heard about that battle? Let me tell you something, honey. It's short. I've seen volumes of books written on the Battle of Armageddon. I've seen volumes written speculating all that would take place. It's short. Because when the Lord comes, He'll literally come back. He'll speak. The voice of truth will speak. The Bible teaches us that the blood will flow to the bridle's horse, or to to the bridle on the horse. The blood will flow, and the battle will be over. I mean, He's not going to come down here and, and tinker around with man. It's going to be over when He speaks. And then, the millennial reign of Christ will take place. So the first rapture, or the first resurrection is at the rapture of the church. We have the seven-year tribulation period, and then we have 1,000-year millennial reign, the kingdom reign of our Lord, where Jesus will literally be sitting on David's throne. Hello? I may get to be the mayor of O'Fallon. I don't know what God's going to let me do. 
But we're going to be here on this earth. Someone, some, someone often said to me, when do you think this world is going to come to an end? Well, I don't know. But I say this. If the rapture was to take place today, I know this earth will exist the way it is for at least another thousand and seven years. So ladies, use your hairspray. I don't know who cares about the hole in the ozone. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Hello? We know we've got a thousand seven after, after the rapture. We have the rapture, seven-year tribulation period, the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. We're, 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 I mean, everything is it's, it's going to be a wonderful reign when Jesus sets up his reign. That seven-year tribulation period, boy, there's going to be three and a half years of, 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 of just peace. And then at the middle of that is going to be the abomination of desolation that's talked about in the book of Daniel. When the Antichrist himself literally sits on David's throne and commands worldwide worship. And by the way, for those that think, well, I'll just wait till the rapture takes place and then I'll get things right with God. No, 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 honey, get this. If you've had an opportunity to be saved, if you've heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit's convicted you and you've denied him, the rapture takes place, you will not be able to be saved afterwards. I don't care what Tim LaHaye says and what those books. What's those books? Somebody help me. Left behind. I don't care what the left behind books say. You, once you've heard the God. I'm, listen, we're going by the revelation, not Tim LaHaye. We're going by the revelation, the word of God, not some series of books that sell and make millions of dollars. Y'all okay? Hello? The Bible teaches me. That for that individual that had an opportunity to be saved and rejected the voice of truth, rejected the plan of salvation, the Bible says that in the rapture, when that person's left behind, that God will send them a strong delusion. They will believe a lie and they will be damned. So the time to get right with God's now. Hello? And then trust in panology. First, rapture, resurrection. Seven-year tribulation, 1,000-year millennial reign, second resurrection. Now understand that the second resurrection, they will not be resurrected to stand before God and have the privilege of entering into heaven. They'll stand before God by themselves, and they'll be judged, and they'll be cast into the lake of fire. So happy and blessed is he, as the Bible says, that has part in the first resurrection. Hello? Well, I got to go. Number four, jot this down. I've already alluded to this, and I got ahead of myself. I'm sorry. I, I get excited on this stuff. Number four is this. Write this down. Rapture, which is living believers caught up. And that's what we see in verse number 17. First resurrection is taking place in verse 15 and 16. Then, verse 17, then we who are still alive. Can you imagine what we're going to get to witness? Get, get this. I mean, of course, it's going to happen so fast. I mean, it's not like we're going to stand around and be in awe of what's taking place. But the first resurrection taking place, and then we which are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Very quickly, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. I just want you to get this while I'm here. I want to give you some hope, okay? I want you to be able to walk in some hope. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 50 or 51 He says, listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, not all die, but we will be all changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. Guys, you realize there's going to be a transformation take place just like that. 
for those that are alive whenever the rapture of the church takes place, whenever the Lord comes. Okay? The return of the Lord, the resurrection is going to take place, and then the changing, the rapturing of the church. Now, there's a lot more that I could get into about the rapture, but I want you to understand this. Understand this. Nowhere in Scripture will you find the word rapture. So don't go home and get in your Strong's Concordance, Strong's book, and, and look for the word rapture in the Bible. The word rapture is not in the Bible. But rapture just simply means to be caught up, to be snatched away, quickly taken away. And that's the easiest way to be able to explain that doctrine is to use the word rapture. But that's the taking away, the being caught up and, ca- and caught away speedily. Uh, let me go on. Number five, write this one down. Talking about the hope that we have. Number five is reunion. Not only do we have the revelation, we have God's truth. Not only do we have the return, Christ returning, His coming again. Not only do we have the first resurrection, which is the Christians, Christians that have died being raised. Then the rapture, those living believers being called up. But number five, we have the reunion. Look, if you will, in verse 17, and that's where Christians are forever with the Lord. Then we who are still alive be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, get this, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying whenever we're called up, there's going to be a glad reunion day. And guys, I promise you, you do not want to miss the marriage supper of the Lamb. You don't want to miss that dinner. Now, there's, been, there's some dinners I've missed. And there's some suppers I have not been able to get to. But I have already got my banquet ticket. I've already punched my ticket. I've already made my appointment. I will not miss this supper. Now, I don't want you to miss it because what a wonderful, glad reunion day that's going to be. Why? Because all of those that have died in Christ Jesus will be there. We, as believers, will be there. You see, I'm looking forward to talking more in depth with my great-grandpa, George Cannon. I've got his Bibles. I've had his stories passed down to me. I've gone to his graveside, and I've, I've laid there over his grave, and I've prayed. And I've asked God to place his mantle on me and let me carry the Cannon mantle in the name of Jesus as a preacher of the gospel the best I can. I want to be faithful to the end as he was faithful to the end. Amen? I can't wait to the marriage supper and we're around the table there and we're at the banquet feast with our Lord and the reunion that I get to have with my great-grandpa and we can share preacher stories. Think about your loved ones that have died in Christ. You'll see them again. Don't grieve as those who have no hope. We will see them again. Heaven is going to be a glad reunion place. Down in the south, I don't know if they have them much around here, but down in the south, every year usually around the, in June, is Reunion Month. And all families from all around, around the country, they gather in and they have the family reunion. And, man, you see people you haven't seen in years at the family reunion. You know what's going to be in heaven? It's going to be something like that. The banquet feast is going to be spread. The reunion gathering is going to take place. Yeah, the one that has the, the attention of us all is the Lord Jesus Christ. But there we are with the Lord. So Paul is encouraging these believers in Thessalonica that we're going through a tremendous time of persecution. He's saying, listen, don't grieve as those who have no hope. Walk in hope. And then he unpacks some of what I just shared with you. 
I don't know where you are today as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. How are you in this walk of faith? You see, here on this earth, I walk by faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But one day, I'm going to meet Him in the air and I'm going to see Him as He is. Will you join me? Will you be there? Do you know Him? If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I just want to encourage you this morning. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. Just admit that you're a sinner. Confess your sins to Him. Ask Him to forgive you. And ask Him to come into your life to be your Lord and your Savior. If you're here and you're not ready for the rapture, I encourage you to get ready. It's coming. It's soon. Some theologians talk about the imminent return, which means very soon. It's imminent. It's just around the corner. Are you ready? Father, as we do business with you today, Lord, if there's one here today that's not ready, should the rapture take place today, I pray that now that they would make that move, make that decision to follow you. Right now, God, I just pray that they would ask you into their heart, get their life right with you. Father, if there's a believer and a Christian that's walking afar from you, I pray, God, that right now they would be like that prodigal son or daughter come back home. May we all be prepared for that meeting. Death. Death is not an accident. Death is an appointment. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. Help us to be ready for that appointment. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. That's victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can call, email, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109 in O'Fallon, Illinois. Or come check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us. 